This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. We've been uh, studying through the book of 1 Corinthians, but we're going to take a detour today. So open your Bibles to Romans 8. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, under the seat in front of you is a Bible. You can take that out and open up to page 550. So grab the Bible in front of you, page 550. And if you don't own a Bible then you just take that one with you. That's our gift to you. Uh, Let me pray and then we'll jump in. God, thank you for, well, thank you for new mercy. Your your word says that your mercies are new every day. And so we just receive your mercy afresh today and thank you for all of your kindness and your grace to us. Lord, we pray today that uh, we would hear your word. We need to be strengthened by your word. We need your uh, truth to us. Lord, we can live and believe so many things, Lord, that may not be true, but we want your truth from your word. So I ask that uh, fill me with your spirit to teach your past, this passage today. Fill us all with the spirit to hear and to respond to you. Uh, we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I don't know if you've heard, but uh, the rock band U2 is on this big tour. And uh, some people would say they're the greatest rock band of all times. Others would debate that. And I, this is a sermon, so I won't enter that kind of discussion, but happy to talk in the lobby afterwards. Um, <laughs> so uh, they are on the 30th anniversary of their album, The Joshua Tree. And as I understand, I don't know all the detail, but as I understand, they're just coming together, filling stadiums like AT&T Stadium, filling stadiums and just playing that record from three years ago. I mean, they're playing it live. They're not putting it on a turntable, but they're playing that record from 30 years ago. They're just playing it through for people. And I thought, why is that, that 30 years later, they're just repeating what they did back in the 80s? And, and the reason is, is because there's brilliant artistry associated with that album, if you've not heard it. But secondly, there's just an enduring value Uh, to those songs. And so they are playing them uh, here 30 years later. And in the spirit of you two, uh, I am going to preach a sermon today that I've preached before. It won't have brilliant artistry like their music, but the text does have enduring value far greater than their music. And I thought if Bono can get by with it, uh, surely I can get by with it as well. So I'm going to teach a text today that I have taught before a number of years ago on a Mother's Day because it is a passage that really speaks to us, all of us, where we are today. Today, as Rob mentioned, really is a joyous celebration. It's, it's great in our culture that we would recognize moms and dads and have a day set aside to thank them for their contributions into our lives. It's a joyous celebration for many. But the reality is, as he said, it is a challenging situation for others. There's some of us in the room, perhaps, that you've lost your mom in the last year. And so today is the first Mother's Day without your mom, and, and there is a day of grief for you. Uh, Some of us may have a distant or broken relationship with our mom, and so today's a reminder of that kind of pain. Some of us in the room want to be a mother, and yet we are unable to, uh, we're unable to conceive, or we remain unmarried as a single uh, lady, and so today is a day that could be a reminder of the hurt that you kind of carry in your lives. Some of us have lost a child, 
And so for you, moms, today is a particular day of remembering and grieving. Some of us have grown children, and uh, the relationship with them is distant. There are other women uh, who are mothers here today, and you will enjoy something special of a celebration. So hopefully uh, this afternoon you will be free from your normal responsibilities just to rest and relax. And hopefully this afternoon you will be honored. Your little ones might give you some homemade cards today. Your big ones and your adult children will hopefully not show up with homemade cards, but legit gifts for you. To, the others are legit, sorry, but uh, with, with measurable uh, gifts for you today. And though there will be a day of celebrating, and, and though a day of laughing, and though a day maybe of remembering, and though a day of rest for you, the reality is that in your heart, you're kind of struggling today. You're kind of struggling today because maybe you even know that we're talking about motherhood. Maybe you're anticipating what I'm going to say today about motherhood. And while you are grateful, very grateful for your children, while you are grateful to be a mother, the reality is that you can battle discouragement as a mother. And sometimes you even give in to that discouragement. It's not a battle. You lose and you are just discouraged. And you're afraid today that a sermon elevating the lofty images of a godly woman from a passage, oh, like maybe Proverbs 31, which is a great passage, um, maybe you fear right now hearing something like that would just remind you how much you don't measure up, how much you feel like you don't measure up today. Perhaps you arrive on this Mother's Day and you're just exhausted. You've got little ones, you're chasing around little ones, you've got an infant that doesn't sleep at night and you're just trying, well, you're just trying to survive and it's like a massive victory that you're in the room and if you stay awake for the whole sermon, that will be the victory of your worship service today. Some of you feel like you're not making much progress as a follower of Jesus I mean, if you're honest, you would say, well, today I'm battling the same sins I was battling last Mother's Day. I'm still battling anger. I'm still battling impatience. I'm still battling worry and fear for my children and other things. You sit here today and you go, I'm aware that my devotional life really isn't what it should be. I'm aware of that. I'm aware that my home organization isn't what I wish it was. I'm aware that my marriage isn't what I wish it was. I, my life balance um, between work outside the home and responsibilities in the home, that's not what I wish it was. And in fact, your life isn't really what you wish it was today. Maybe you show up defeated. Maybe you show up defeated because you compare yourself with others maybe even others in this room, if you're a member of this church and know people, you compare yourself and you say, while my life isn't what I wish it was, that lady two rows over, her life is what I wish it was, what mine was. You look at her and you say, you know, uh, her young kids are well-behaved. I mean, her young kids are in the service right now. They've got their Greek New Testaments opened to (laughs) Romans 8. And they're frankly a little perturbed that I haven't even gotten to exegeting the passage yet because that's why they're here. And you think about your kids, you're waiting for the number to flash up on the screen any minute. (laughs) 
because you got a hellion back in toddlers who's got somebody in a headlock and you're thinking, what is going on? And so you compare my kids, their kids, me as a mother, her as a mother. Or maybe you have teenage kids and you look at her and you go, man, her kids love her. They're following the Lord passionately. And you go, my teenage kids, well, they're drifting. They're drifting. Maybe you have grown kids and you say her grown kids, well, her grown kids are following the Lord with all of their lives. And my grown kids, well, they've chosen a different path than the one in which they were raised. And so you come discouraged today. Her marriage is wonderful. Her home is beautiful. Her figure is slim. Her friends are many. Her counsel is wise. And she deserves to be honored on Mother's Day. Me? Not so much. Not so much. Well, if you find yourself in any of those categories, I have a word from God for you this morning. And it is exhilarating good news to every mom in the room and to every Christian, whether you're a mom, whether you're a male, female, young person, older person, whoever you are, this is a word from God for us today. And it is glorious good news. We all bring in so much baggage. Some of us are so weighed down as we enter this room today with burdens and concerns and failures and discouragements in our lives. And this is life-giving good news to us. So listen to the word of God for us today. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I'm just going to take the first verse and go word by word and drill down into this text this morning. There is therefore now no condemnation. Now, in the original writing, the, the New Testament's written in Greek. And in the original writing, in the Greek text, there is does not appear. It's added to our English text as by way of translation because it makes more sense to our English reading to say, there is therefore now no condemnation. But the text literally reads, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It starts with therefore. Therefore now no condemnation. Let's look at this word therefore. The word therefore points to what has come before and it says that what has come before now uh, is resulting in what is following. So what came before chapter 8? Chapter 7, I know. But what came before chapter 8? Well, it, it does, uh, chapter 7 does come before chapter 8. But likely, what he is saying, therefore, in this case, refers to everything that's come in chapters one through eight in Romans. And what he's been doing for seven full chapters is Paul has been building the case. He's been developing the argument that salvation comes from Christ and his work. He's wanted to undermine all self-effort, all kind of effort that says, I am right with God because of my own righteousness. And he's wanting to say and teach us that the sacrificial death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings forgiveness and it changes our fundamental relationship with God. On our own, we are under God's judgment and we are headed to a life of eternity paying for our sins. 
But if we trust in Christ, if we turn from our sin and believe in Jesus Christ, then we are made right with God because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we've done, and not because of what we have failed to do. We are right because of Christ. In many ways, this verse mirrors uh, chapter 5, verse 1. If you flip, uh, flip back to chapter 5, the first verse says, Therefore, since we have been justified, which means declared righteous before God, therefore, since we have been declared right with God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is saying something very simple, uh, very similar, I mean. Therefore, since we have been declared right with God, there is no condemnation for us. That's what the previous seven chapters have talked about. We could simply say, since we have received salvation through Christ, there is now no condemnation. That's what the therefore tells us. It builds all of the, the previous seven chapters, and it says, because of what we have learned about the glory of Christ and what he's done for us in the cross and resurrection, because of all of that, now there is no condemnation. So first word, therefore. Second word, now. Therefore, now, no condemnation. Because of the work of Jesus, there is now no condemnation. That means today. At 11.53, right now in this auditorium, if you are a Christian there is right this second no condemnation for you. On Mother's Day, there is no condemnation for all Christian moms and all Christians who are not moms. There is no condemnation. God does not condemn you. You are accepted by God in Christ right now. You are loved by God right now. You are welcomed by God right now. Well, you don't understand. I, I yelled at my children this morning on the way to church. Now, no condemnation. Therefore, now, no condemnation. Well, you, you, don't, you don't get it. I've been very inconsistent in my devotional life. I just have been very much struggling to be in the word and in prayer. And now, you need to hear now your relationship with God, your status before God, your standing before God, your approval from God is based on what Christ has done, not what you have done. Some of us could feel like God is sort of annoyed with us, that God is maybe tolerating us this morning. There's certain people this morning, God was very glad to see them as they showed up at the house of the Lord. And there's other people, he's just sort of looking and he's kind of giving you that glance like, eh, I don't know. I'm not just, yeah, okay, you're here, but we'll see. Some of us feel that way, like God is, just has low-grade annoyance with us at all times, that he sort of just tolerates us. But the scripture says, now there is no condemnation, right now in this moment, not just then in heaven. Now, the Bible does teach in heaven you won't be condemned. In heaven, if you're a believer in Christ, you will be with your Lord for eternity. So in heaven, there is no condemnation. But the Bible doesn't just say in heaven there is no condemnation. It says now. You cannot be under, you, you, you will in that day be no less condemned in heaven than you are right this second if you're a Christian. 
Your status before God does not change when you get to heaven. It changed back when you believed. That's when it changed. And now God says over you, now, no condemnation. Not when you will be a better Christian, but now. Not when you've met your own standards or the standards of those around you, but now. Not not when there is a future you who has her act all together, but now you with all your faults, no condemnation. That's what the scripture says. It is is immediate to embrace it as living right this second. God is not waiting for you to do something so that then you are not condemned. The Bible says you are con- not, no longer condemned because of faith in Christ. So it's not in the future when you have organized your home. It is not in the future when you feel closer to God, when you lose the weight, when you wake up earlier, when you serve more in church, when you do better at your job someday, when you react with love and patience, to your toddler, not when you've taught your kid more Bible, more regularly, not when you've educated your kid as she does, not when you've prepared healthier meals for your family, not when you've stayed on your budget more faithfully, not when you've memorized more scripture, not when you've spent more time in prayer, not when you've served your neighbor more, but now, right now, there is no condemnation. I studied this word now, and and it means, well, basically what you think it would mean, but it can be translated already, already. There is therefore already no condemnation. It's, already, it's not a future event. It's already happened that you are right with God already. It can be translated at present. That means at any moment on any day when I think about my status before God I am not condemned if I'm in Christ Jesus, if I believe in Jesus, that is. So everyone in Jesus is not condemned already, at present. It can be translated at this instant. I love that. Because sometimes now it's just like, well, we just read over that. Well, I I don't know. There's no condemnation, but we, we miss the timing. It would be helpful to think about some of those alternative but equally true translations of the Greek word. At this instant. Boy, wouldn't it be helpful to think about sometime this week? At this instant, there is no condemnation. When I am doing poorly and when I am doing great, either way, there is no condemnation. It is so important. It is so important that you believe this and as a Christian that you receive your status before God. It is so important that you believe your status before God is what he says it is, not what you think it is. If you think your status before God is based on how you feel today or how you perform today or how you performed last week or how you're going to perform the rest of the day, if you think your status before God is tied to your emotions or to your performance, you will be miserable. Because emotions go up and down, performance goes up and down, 
And the reality is that we are not right with God based on our emotions, based on our intentions, based on our performance. We are right with God based on the performance of his son who lived perfectly in our place and died for our sins. And that's why once you believe from that moment through all eternity is now for you, now not condemned, now no condemnation. Embrace your position in Christ. You are accepted by God. You are approved by God. You are loved by God. Here's what I believe God really wants for every one of us who are Christians in the room today. I believe God wants us to wake up in the morning and before we even put our foot on the ground, we breathe in this truth. Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that we live our day in that rather than living our day breathing the toxic, foul air of condemnation, believing that one day God will approve of me when I get my act together, that one day God will accept me when I live more like he does or like she does. Rather, it is now that there is no condemnation. Right now, your status before God is settled. And not only is your status settled, but it's really good. Your status is greater than you can imagine. It is a tremendous relief to know that because of Christ, we are accepted by God now. Next word, no. Therefore, now, no condemnation. No condemnation. No, think of it in all caps, bold, 48-point font, underlined, italicized, highlighted with a yellow marker, whatever it takes, no is huge. Therefore, now, no condemnation. It's emphatic. It's being stated in strong terms. It's emphatic. He's, Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit that condemnation for the Christian is out of the question. If you are in Christ, condemnation is not just unlikely. It's not just like on rare occasion. It's not a possible effect that could happen in your life, it is never possible for you to be condemned once you are in Christ. It's not like, well, most people aren't condemned, but there are those, there are a few who will walk in condemnation as a believer, and that would be the Lord's will. It's like those drug commercials on TV where they tell you what the drug does in 15 seconds, and then for 45 seconds, they tell you what all the possible side effects are, and they all end with, and in some cases, death, which I just think, you know what? My allergies, I just live with them. If that, you know, no, I, I do take an allergy medication, but uh, in some cases, death. So it's like Jesus saves you. He forgives your sins. He gives you new life. And most everyone, 99% of you will enjoy grace, but for some of you, condemnation. It's not like the asterisk that this could happen to some people. It's definite no why is there no condemnation? Well, the reason is because Jesus was condemned. That's the reason. Look at verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The law, no one could be saved by the law because we all have flesh. It doesn't mean skin. It means our sinful nature. The law was weakened by our sinful nature. We could never obey it. But God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. 
Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. He, he was judged for our sin. He was punished for our sin. He fulfills the law. We could not fulfill God's law, which was a standard of perfection. We couldn't fulfill that, but Jesus fulfilled that. Jesus lived perfectly. And then Jesus died for our sins in our place. He did that for us. And if you are a believer in Christ, a follower of Christ, you are in Christ and you cannot ever be condemned. No condemnation. God views you. God relates to you. God treats you as righteous as Jesus because his righteousness has been given to you as a gift. God loves you as much as he loves his own son. God welcomes you as much as he welcomes his own son because you're in him. You're welcome to a throne of grace because you're in him. There's favor on your life, the grace of God on you because you're in Christ. So the question is, why do I feel condemned? If the Bible says, no, I'm not condemned, why do I feel condemned? Why do I feel God is judging me? Why do I feel shamed? Why do I feel unwelcomed in his presence? Why is it that I feel like I need to do something more to be accepted by him? If he doesn't condemn me, why do I feel condemned? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons for this. One is, I think we can tend to condemn ourselves. We establish what we think we should do. It may be based on a biblical standard. It may not. It may be based on our own standard or what we see someone else doing. And when we don't meet our expectations, we feel condemned by God. We set our own view of ourselves and how we measure up above God's view of us. God knows that we are sinners, but we are in Christ and he relates to us he treat, our status before him is in Christ as that who have been declared righteous. And when we think we must do something to earn God's approval, earn his acceptance, merit a relationship with him, when we do that, then we're putting our standard of how we measure up above God's standard. We're saying, no, I'm not going to look to Christ and his life. I'm not going to look to Christ's death and resurrection. I'm not going to look to that precious gift. I instead am going to look to myself and how I feel and what I failed to do and what other people think about me and what I intended to do but didn't do and what I forgot about doing and how I'm going to look at all of that and say that determines how I stand with God. So we condemn ourselves. The comparison trap, it really works here. You look at others and what you perceive that they do and who they are and you measure yourself against them realizing that you always see the best side of them on Sunday morning and on Facebook. You always see the best side of them. You don't see their reality, but put that aside. You look at them, and when you don't measure up to them, then you condemn yourself. God must love them. God must be favorable to them. God must, they must be righteous enough to earn God's approval, because look at all he's doing in their life. But I'm not that way. You know, there's that verse in Zephaniah that says God, Zephaniah 3, says God sings over his people. Wow, what a beautiful sight that, that God Almighty would sing in joy. He loves his people so much that he sings over them. But you sort of think, yeah, he's singing over some people here today. That mom that's awesome, man, he's just over singing. He's got a solo singing, celebrating, joyful over her. He comes to you, goes to the next person. He's singing. He's really celebrating some people. But you condemn yourself because you compare yourself to them. 
And what happens when that happens is we aren't believing in his work of justification, that is being declared righteous in Christ. The lie we choose to believe over the truth that he says of us, no condemnation, now no condemnation. And so we must turn from that lie and turn to the truth. No condemnation because we are declared righteous in Jesus. Secondly, we may be condemned by others. I don't think this is as common as self-condemnation, but it's certainly possible. Maybe someone else has said something to you, especially if it was an authority in your life at one time or even presently. They can have weighty words on your soul. So someone else has said, man, you're, you're not right with God. You're not living up to the standard of God's acceptance. Maybe they put something on you that was extra biblical. You don't do this, which maybe God doesn't even require, but you don't do this or live like this, so you're not good enough for the Lord. Something that they said that's registered with you, sometimes we feel condemned by others. A third one is the enemy condemns us. The Bible teaches there's a real enemy. The Bible calls him Satan or the devil. And he is opposed to everything that God does. He is opposed to God's people. Revelation 12 says, calls him the accuser. Isn't that interesting? The accuser of the brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him, the believers have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they loved not their lives unto death. The enemy accuses you Evil power accuses you, wants, every, wants you to fail and to feel like a failure. So you can be certain of this. When you feel condemned, whether it's self-generated, whether it is others-generated, the source of that is always Satan. Because Satan lies. Satan takes what God says and says that's not true. And God says, therefore, now no condemnation. He brings false accusations. When the enemy comes to you and says you are bearing responsibility, that God is distant, he's not approving, loving, welcoming, your status with him is in question. Your status is in question with God because of what you did. God knows what you did. And because of what you did, your status before him is in question. That is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That is the false accusation of the devil. The devil's very name means accuser. He is going to accuse, accuse, and accuse. And his, his accusations are false because Jesus has paid for our sins. Can I tell you the terrible, miserable thing about living in condemnation? You would think if you felt really bad for your sin and really condemn before God that that would make you want to, like that would create some kind of holiness in you, but it does just the opposite. It, 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 condemnation doesn't lead to growth and holiness. Condemnation actually leads to more sin in our lives. And that, that works one of a couple ways. One is maybe we feel really bad and so we work very hard to do better so that we feel accepted by God. So rather than looking at the gift of Christ, rather than looking at justification that we're declared righteous because of what Christ did, rather than looking there, we just look at our own efforts. And so I'm just going to work harder. I'm just going to do more. 
Uh, I'm just going to embrace a new lifestyle. I'm going to do this and that. And then after that, God will accept me. That approach is what the Bible calls legalism. It's trying to win God's approval and trying to have the status of son or daughter by earning it through your righteousness. And in the New Testament, if you track what Jesus says, it is legalistic people that he has the strongest correction to, the strongest admonition. Jesus rebukes people who try to trust in their efforts to be accepted by God. Because when you do that, you are rejecting God's efforts to, to, for, to accept you, his work rather, which is in Jesus Christ. It is a rejection of Christ and a promotion of self to be right with God. So sometimes we go into legalism, I'll just do more and earn his approval. And that means some days when I do really good, I'll feel like God accepts me. And other days when I do really bad, I'll question whether I'm even a Christian. The other approach, that's a ditch. There's another ditch on the other side, and that's just giving up and looking for an escape. I feel like condemned and I tried the Christian thing and I tried to follow the Lord. It's too hard. I'm giving up. And so we find an escape. We overeat. We overspend. We compare ourselves to others and we, we don't like what we see. We judge them and we gossip about them. And maybe we just get mad at everybody and just want to give up. The accuser will keep on accusing but that passage in Revelation said they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. The accuser is defeated by the blood of Jesus. It is by looking at his sacrifice, trusting his sacrifice, believing in his sacrifice that silences the accuser. It is by the testimony of grace, by the word of their testimony, when we proclaim first of all to ourselves, testify to ourselves that God is gracious and we're right with him because of Christ. And then that is the message we testify to other people in evangelism as well, that they may know you cannot be right with God by keeping the law. You have failed to do so, but there is forgiveness in Jesus. That silences the voice of the enemy. If you want to grow in the Lord, you must be clear on your status before God. The rest of chapter eight, which we're not gonna study, but the rest of chapter eight, talks about how to grow as a Christian. It talks about the spirit of God in us, empowering us to follow God, empowering us in righteousness. So as a Christian, a Christian will grow and become more and more like Jesus over time. Sometimes it's slow. It's usually in nobody's life. Is it a straight graph like this? It's more like a, you know, it's more an up and down. It's more like a stock market thing or something. It goes up, it goes down. There's a crash sometimes. Man, then there's sometimes it's like revival. Everything's shot up. But we go up and down in our Christian lives. But over time, you're more and more like Jesus. So this passage is going to be, it's going to go on. It's going to talk about spirit-empowered effort. It's going to talk about putting sin to death. But our growth starts with chapter, verse 1 rather. It starts with no condemnation. That is what we must get in our head. That we are not seeking to obey God to win his approval, we are seeking to obey God because we already have his approval. Those are two very different approaches to the Christian life. One is always laboring and striving for God to approve of me. The other says, I'm breathing in the air, the fresh air of no condemnation. And I have the spirit of God living in me. And I know that God looks at me, even though I'm a sinner, he looks at me in Christ and has declared me righteous and treats me just like his own son. And so there is a freedom now to now walk with 
with him. There's a desire to walk with that God who has done everything for me so that I could be saved, who has reconciled me to himself, who loves me in a way that I cannot even fathom. That's motivating. That's motivating to live for him. There's a beautiful passage of scripture. I'm actually planning on teaching the scripture sometime in the next calendar year. Um, I'm hoping to. But there's a beautiful passage of scripture in Proverbs 31 that, that kind of lays out a picture of an ideal wom- a woman who's an ideal in following God in all of her different callings in life. And, and sometimes it's, it's something that ladies can read and, and, and aspire to. Hey, I, I want to... Sometimes this phrase is coined, it's not the most helpful, but, you know, I want to be a Proverbs 31 woman. You probably want to be like a whole Bible woman, but that's okay. So, um, I want to be a Proverbs 31 woman. So that means a certain kind of a thing which is glorious, and we affirm and embrace. But can I say this? If you want to be a Proverbs 31 woman, that means a woman who walks with God and reflects the character of God in all her responsibilities in life. You have to first be a Romans 8 woman. You have to start with not, I'm going to do all that. You have to start with, I could never do anything to win God's approval. I already have it. I already have it. My status as a daughter before the Lord doesn't go up and down like my emotions and performance. I am already approved in him. And there is grace for me to change in my areas of sin, weakness, and limitation. And so from that position of freedom, never condemned, I joyfully offer my life to him. That's very different. It must be a Romans 8. That is, you must be secure in what Christ has done for you before you can be changed for him. Another way of saying it theologically is you must rest in your justification as the power to then walk in your sanctification, which is putting off sin, dying to sin, and giving ourselves to righteousness. But one clearly comes before the other. No condemnation, no condemnation. Last phrase, in Christ Jesus. Therefore, now, this second, at this instance, no, it's impossible. It's, it's not highly unlikely. It's impossible that you could ever be condemned once you are in Christ Jesus. For those who are in Christ Jesus, no condemnation because we are in him. He's speaking about our union with Christ. And this is the most defining thing about us, that the Bible teaches that when we believe we are in Christ, we are joined to him. Jesus said it this way, I am the vine, like a living vine, and you are the branches coming off the vine, talking about like a, a grapevine or something. I am the vine, you are the branches. <clears throat> Apart from me, you can do nothing. That we are connected to Christ, that he is our life that he produces fruit through us, that we are connected to him. And that is our core identity. As a Christian, that is, the most, that is the most basic truth about you, that you are in Christ Jesus. I'm a mom. There's something deeper that's true about you as a believer. I'm a dad. There's something more fundamental. I'm a male. There's something more fundamental. I'm a young person, there's something more fundamental. I'm an old person, there's something more fundamental. I'm Hispanic, there's something more fundamental about you. And the thing that's most fundamental about you is that you are in Christ. All those other things may be true, but you are in Christ, connected to him, and he is your life. And so God the Father relates to you as he relates to his son. Your union with Christ says more about you than anything else. He has joined you to his son forever. And that's where he starts this. You cannot be condemned because Jesus has already been condemned for you. 
You cannot be condemned because you are in him and declared righteous. You cannot be condemned as if God won't receive you because he receives you in his son and with his son. I'm with him. You are always welcomed, always received, always loved. There is no condemnation and you cannot be separated from that love. That's how he ends the chapter. He begins with no condemnation, but look at this. Look at verse 31. He ends the chapter with no separation. This is one of the most powerful passages in all the New Testament. Verse 31, chapter 8. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is no one can be against you if God is for you. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's like God in the courtroom saying, okay, I have forgiven and declared righteous my children. Who would like to bring a charge that Jesus didn't cover? Silence. There is no charge that can be brought against you to condemn you because Jesus paid for all of our charges, past, present, now, and future. It is God who justifies, verse 34. Who is to condemn? He's going to ask it again. Who's, where's the voice of condemnation? Who's can, who can present a case before the judge? Who, who can present? Con- there is none. Get that out of here is what he's saying, <clears throat> roughly. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Jesus already paid for your sins. He was risen to defeat the power of sin. And now he's at the right hand of God, constantly to the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. His blood covers your sin. His righteousness covers your failure. Wow. Verse 36, uh, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of God? Okay, now we're going to talk about love. So you cannot be condemned. How could you ever not be loved by God as a Christian? And so he gives these big things, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine or nakedness or danger or sword. He's saying, is there any situation you could be in that would be so bad that you should be caused to question the love of God for you? Your relationship with God. I mean, if you have no food and are naked out in the street, that's what he says here. That's about as bad as it gets. If you have nothing to eat and nothing to wear, you're exposed to the elements without nutrition. Even then, the love of God is what nothing separates you, excuse me, from the love of God. No danger, no sword. Look at verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, now he's going to have to give a lot of categories here. I am sure that neither death nor life, but that's pretty much everything. Neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you. Nothing can condemn you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. To grow in God, we must live aware of our standing before God. And our standing is declared righteous, no condemnation, forever loved by him. And nothing can touch that. Nothing. That's good news. 
That's the best news. I can tell you nothing better than that today. That is the best news imaginable. And if it sounds too good to be true, like, wait a minute, well, what about I did this, I did that? No condemnation, no separation, forever loved. If it sounds too good to be true, you're starting to understand grace. If it's like, oh, that's reasonable. Yeah, that sounds fair. That sounds about fair. Then you don't get grace because it ain't fair. It's grace. It's Jesus taking our sins so that we're forgiven. That's not fair and equitable to us. It's just because Jesus, because God the Father punished sin. So it's just he punished sin, but he didn't punish us. He punished his son for our sins. If it sounds too good to be true, then we're starting to have our eyes open to the glory of what it's like to live day in, day out. No condemnation, no separation. So what should I do? Well, if you're not a Christian, I need to say this to you with all love and all respect. This verse does not hold true for you if you're not a Christian. Because it says, if you are in Christ Jesus, that means you've repented of sin, you see you're a sinner, and you've believed in him. So if you're not in Christ Jesus, you are condemned. You're condemned today. You're condemned for eternity, the scripture says, an eternity in hell. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve because of our sin. Now, here's the really good news. You don't have to remain in condemnation. You can come over here to forgiven and no condemnation. You don't have to remain in Adam, the Bible says. That means connected to Adam, born in sin, living in sin. You can come over here and be in Christ. And the way you move from condemnation to no condemnation, from Adam to Christ, the way you make that move is through faith. You turn from your sin. You say, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I have sinned. I have not loved you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. I have not fulfilled your law. And so I need forgiveness. So I turn from those sins. I give them to you. I believe that you died for them. And I receive the gift of eternal life. And I'm giving you my whole life. You are not just my savior. You are my Lord. I trust you with everything. And I receive your gift of new life and follow you. You can say that to the Lord today. You can say, I want to trust you. I want to believe in you. I want you to give me new life. And he will do that. The Bible says, Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I'll never cast him out. So if you're not a believer, then believe. I mean, this is the greatest truth imaginable. Believe. If you are a believer, believe. Believe that this is true and stop believing the voice in your head. Stop believing the voice of the enemy. Stop trusting your emotions and how you're doing today and how you look at this and say, this is great news. Receive this truth. Swim in mercy and grace. Be at rest. Today is a day to say, I receive, I believe this, and I want my soul to just be at rest. I'm just going to rest in what you have done, Lord, and I'm going to trust for you to empower me and to enable me to follow you so that you press on confident in him, at rest, in grace, by the Spirit, believing the good news. There is good news for every mom here today. There's good news for every non-mom here today who is united in Christ. We are free. We will never taste a drop of condemnation before God. Never. You will never experience the wrath of God because Jesus has died in your place. Can you imagine that truth? We will never be condemned. Enjoy this break, this, this breathtaking truth. Enjoy this. 
Let it take your breath away. No condemnation. Enjoy grace. Live free today. Experience freedom. Die to your own efforts and receive what he has done for you and ask him to empower you by grace to follow him. No condemnation, no separation from his love now and forevermore. And that's good news for moms and for everybody else as well. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.